We're in the third week of a series that we're calling Mixtape, and it's real, real simple. How many of you remember back in the day, now all you young people aren't going to remember this, but all you people who are old like me are going to remember Remember when you used to take the cassette, and you had the double cassette boom box, and you put your tape over here, and you put the other tape over here, and you would record the one song on this tape that was good, to this blank tape, and then you'd put another one in, and you'd make your own mixtape. It was all the best music on a tape. Don't lie, how many of you remember tapes? That's this series right here. I'm taking some of the best sermons I've ever preached, or let's back that up. I don't know that I've ever preached a good sermon, but I'm taking some of the sermons that you guys have requested, and we're repeating those sermons. And someone asked me, I had a pastor friend ask me, he said, man, you're repeating sermons? I said, I am repeating sermons. I said, do you repeat music? We repeat music around here all the time because here's the deal. The Bible says the word of God will not come back void. And if it was good two years ago, it's good today. And if it was good five years ago, it's even better today. We've marinated on it. We've mixed it around. And I'm excited about today's topic because it's one of the topics that I am most passionate about in my life. There's, there's some things I get up here and I teach because the Bible teaches them, and I'll just be real honest with you, I'm not passionate about them. I, I don't look forward to doing them, but this is one of those messages where I'm smoking what I'm selling today. I'm all in on this theory. I'm all in on this product of this because I've seen the effects of it all my life. And let's start with a couple of stories. In about October 31st, let's go all the way back to 1517, there was a monk named Martin Luther. And he walked up to the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And he nailed a piece of paper to the doors of the church. The Catholic church was the state religion. It was the nation religion. It was the country's religion. And it had gotten so far off course of what the Bible talked about church should be that Martin Luther couldn't handle it anymore. And it was called his 95 Thesis. And it began to attack the indulgences of the church. He began to attack the fact that they were selling the forgiveness of sins. The Catholic Church put Martin Luther on trial. He was excommunicated from the church. But that one act of courage had a domino effect, and the, and the uh, Protestant Reformation was started, and churches like ours exist today because of that movement. They moved away from the formalism of church. They moved away from the traditionalism of church. They moved away from the rules of church and began the best they could or the best of their understanding of following the Bible. On, October, or on April 18, 1945, there was a factory owner named Oscar Schindler, And he had a list of 1,097 names manually typed out. 297 women, 800 men. And he determined that he was going to rescue each and every one of those people from Nazi concentration camps. He spent every penny that he had to do that. And Schindler lost everything. This multimillionaire died broke. But 1,097 people gained freedom because of his one act of courage. On December 1st, 1951, a seamstress named Rosa Parks got on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Segregation laws required black passengers to give up their seats for white passengers. She refused to do it. She was arrested. She lost her job. That one act had a domino effect. It inspired a citywide boycott and a court battle. And within two years, segregation was ruled unconstitutional. Now here's the deal. I am neither historian 
nor the son of a historian. But as I have begun to study out world changers, here's what I have learned over the years. It is small acts of courage that change the course of history. We look back on those acts as huge acts, but at the time they were small acts. They were small risks that people were willing to take that changed the course of history. Somebody has the testicular fortitude. That's balls here in Cherokee County, for those of you that don't know. They have the balls to take a risk, and a domino effect happens as a result. And it's funny, we look back and we think about people like Schindler, we think about people like Martin Luther, we think about people like Rosa Parks, and we think about them in heroic terms. But the reality is, is they didn't know they were making history at the time of their action. They were just ordinary people who were willing to take risk. They were ordinary people that said, man, enough is enough. I don't care what the status quo is anymore. I don't care how things have always been done. I don't care what society says I ought to do. I see something that everyone thinks is normal, and I think it ought to be changed, and I've had all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And their acts started movements. We're in a series called Mixtape, and I'm so excited about this message. In life, there's people that are willing to take risk, and there are those that aren't willing to take risk. Those who aren't willing to take risk, here's the funny thing about that. Those that aren't willing to take risk fell a lot less than those who are willing to take risk. It's a lot safer to go through life not taking a risk. It's a lot safer to go through life in that relationship that you're miserable in. It's a lot safer in life to stay at that job that you can't stand. It's a lot safer in life to do what society says you're supposed to do because when you play it safe, the chance of failure is very minimal. But we were never called to play it safe. You have one shot at this amazing thing called life. I want you to think about it. You got up this morning and you get another day here on earth. You're not promised tomorrow. We don't know when our last time has come. We have one shot at this thing called life. And so many of us think the goal is to arrive at the end of our life safely instead of fulfilled. Instead of looking back, knowing that we rode this thing for all that it was. But in order to do that, you've got to be willing to take risk. Those who play it safe have never changed the world. Those who have played it safe have never changed their families. Those who have played it safe have never lived a life of purpose and never lived a life of fulfillment and a life of knowing they did what they were put on this earth to do. Risk takers change the world. Those that are willing to step out and do what nobody else is willing to do change the world. You cannot, do not miss this today, you cannot change the world playing it safe. You cannot half-ass this thing called Christianity. And that's the problem with the church today. 
The problem with so many people is they're more worried about the fact that I said ass on stage instead of the fact that they're living at half-assed. And we wonder why the church is ineffective. We wonder why we don't see movements of God anymore. Why, why we don't see life change anymore. Why don't we see people who are willing to go all in because we've taken this barbaric thing called Christianity and we've sanitized it. We've made it safe. We've made it comfortable. And even those who don't like it and don't want to attend it and don't, aren't part of it, they come and they get uncomfortable when you start talking about these type things because they've been indoctrinated that the church is supposed to be some nice, cuddly, safe place. The Bible says in the New Testament, it says they forcefully advance the gospel. We've taken something that was raw and barbaric and that back in the early days people died for their beliefs and we've turned it in to this soft, safe Follow the rules and be nice guys thing. We've got to be willing to take risk. We're spoiled here in America. Not just in church, we are spoiled here in America. There's a very obscure passage of Scripture. That's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. Most people, unless you've heard me preach on this, have probably never even noticed this story in the Bible. It wasn't talked about my, a lot in my classes when I went to cemetery, I mean, excuse me, seminary. They didn't talk a lot about it. They didn't dig deep into it. It really has no bearing on major biblical doctrines. Chances are, on your own, you've only read this story as if you read the Bible front to back. But it's an awesome story. Matter of fact, I think it's one of the craziest stories in the Bible. It's so crazy that we sometimes gloss over it. In 2 Samuel, it's talking about the mighty men of David. David was the king And David had these men around him that were referred to as his mighty men. They were willing to go to war for David. Every great leader is only great as the men that are around him. I tell it all the time, people give me credit for all these things I do. And I'm like, man, I didn't do anything. All the people around me did it. David will go down as the greatest king ever, but it was the men that were around him, that believed in him, that supported him, that backed his vision, that allowed him to do what he could do. And make no mistake about it, they were some bad mofos. These weren't just normal men. They were bad to the bone. And there's this one guy, and his name's Benaniah, and look what the Bible says about him. Benaniah, son of Jehoadad, was a valiant fighter and he performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. He struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaniah went against him with the club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Now, I like to visualize people in the Bible. I like to picture what they look like. I like to think about how they would be if they were on my television set. 
I posted this week, he's actually here today. I said, I picture Ben and I, I have a partner in my fight league. His name's Warren Thompson. Those of you who don't know, Warren's a professional fighter. And he helps me with my fight league. And, and, and he's just not all there. I mean that in a good way, in a good way. But he's just not all there. Like he likes pain. Like he wants to be punched in the face. He wants to go and train guys and spar with all 30 of them. I don't understand that. I don't want to get punched in the face. I've been punched in the face. I'm not afraid of getting punched in the face, but I strongly dislike getting punched in the face. Doesn't seem fun to me. I don't get off on getting punched in the face. But he does. So that's how I picture Benaniah. So I picture him there for, because in my mind, he looks like Warren. He's got a mullet. I don't know if they had mullets back in those days, but I believe Benaniah had a mullet. I believe he was covered in tattoos. I believe had there been social media, he would post stuff that you would have to read three or four times to understand. Once you understood it, you realized that it was a lot of truth in it, and he's probably fixing to kill somebody. That's how I picture it. And he was a bad dude. And I think it's real easy to read this and gloss over some of the craziness of what we just read. I think the craziest part of what we just read is, yeah, he killed two dudes. He snatched an Egyptian's um, spear from him, killed the Egyptian with his own spear. But I think we missed the craziest thing that he did. Look what it says. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day, and he killed a lion. Not a lion attacked him and he came out victorious. He went down into the pit where I would assume the lion could not get to him because it's a pit. On a snowy day, and he killed a lion. I ain't messing with Benaniah. He chased a lion into a pit. And instead of leaving the lion in the pit to die on its own, did I mention it was snowing? He jumped down into the pit and he killed a lion. Have you ever met or heard of anybody who chased lions for a living? I have not. I've heard of lion tamers. Barman Bailey used to have lion tamers. But a lion chaser just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He didn't have a hunting rifle. He didn't have a Land Rover. He was not on a safari he was just doing his thing on a snowy day and he jumps in a pit and kills a lion. Now here's the deal with Scripture. Scripture doesn't tell us what he was doing before this moment. Scripture does not tell us 
where he was going when he encountered the lion. We do not know the time of day this happened, and we do not know Benaniah's frame of mind. But Scripture does reveal his gut reaction, and it was pretty gutsy. It's got to me as rank as one of the most improbable reactions recorded in Scripture. Usually, and I'm speaking here for the common man, usually when the image of a man-eating beast travels through the optical nerve and registers with the visual cortex, the brain has one overarching message that it sends to the person. Run away. Run away. I told you I was out hiking in Bowling Park one day. I'm hiking and these people are fastly hiking the other way. They said, you don't want to go down there? I said, why not? They said, man, there's a massive mountain lion down there. I said, well, I ain't never seen a mountain lion before. I want to see it. I thought I wanted to see it until I came around the bend and I saw it. Just laid out in the middle of the trail, smiling, his teeth glistening. Your mind tells you that they tell you not to run, just slowly turn around and walk away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what your mind tells you you're supposed to do. Your heart starts beating fast. I turn around and I begin to walk and I begin to walk. I am fat and I do not run. I got around the bit and I took off running like this. I think the mountain lion had already ate a human because it did not come after me. He seemed very full. I get back to my truck and I'm soaked in sweat. My heart's racing. And I was just a mountain lion. Benaniah sees a lion lion. Like king of the jungle lion. Normal people run away from lions. Matter of fact, they run as far and as fast as they possibly can. The lion chasers are wired differently. Risk takers are wired differently. <laughs> Man. For the majority of us, those of that have ever seen a lion real, we, we have seen them at the circus, we have seen them caged, but few of us have ever seen a lion face to face. And Benaniah sees one face to face. I mean, if we were to be honest, few of us have ever even had hand-to-hand combat where the possibility of us dying was a reality. But try to put yourself in Benaniah's shoes. Picture it with me. He's walking along, and it's snowing. I can just picture it, man. This was made for the big screen. Out of the corner of his eye, Benaniah sees something. And it's crawling. They say that a lion will stalk its prey. So at the corner of his eye, he sees the lion crawling. I, I don't know how far away the lion is from Benaniah, but he senses it. 
It's probably obscured a little bit by the falling snow and the frozen breath coming out of his mouth. But then that moment happens, Benaniah looks and he locks eyes with the lion. Pupils dilate. Can you feel it? Man, muscles tense. Adrenaline begins to rush. I mean, I want you to imagine that you were at Riverstone Cinema and you were in the big screen, the, the big, huge, man, the THX screen, and it's got the surround sound. I mean, this is a moment made for that. Young Russell Crowe is playing the part. I can just picture it. Not fat, old Russell Crowe. Gladiator Russell Crowe is playing this part. Man, you begin to grip the seat, you're white knuckling the seat because you know it's about to get good. You ain't even in it and your heart's pounding because you can feel the tension. Man, your blood pressure escalates. And the entire audience anticipates what's next. Now, most of the time, the script all goes the same. Man encounters lion, lion sees man, man runs away, lion gives chase, king of the jungle has manwich for dinner. But not this time, not this time. It's almost improbable what happens next. Almost like falling upwards. Or the second hand on your watch going counterclockwise. Benaniah locks eyes with the lion. And the lion senses he's dealing with someone different. The lion turns and runs. And this crazy SOB gives chase to the lion. It's not enough that he stared down a lion and the lion runs away. Some people are just wired different. He begins to chase the lion. Can you just picture it? I mean, I picture the cameras filming it at ground level. All you see is the feet. The lion's feet and the man's feet is kicking up snow. They say that lions can run up to 35 miles per hour and they can leap 30 feet in a single bound. Benaniah doesn't stand a chance. But nobody told him he didn't stand a chance. And when society tells you, doesn't tell you that you can't stand a chance, you don't believe the lies that they tell you. Mm-hmm. That's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. The lion's running, Benaniah's chasing, and the lion makes one crucial mistake. His 500-pound frame hits a part of the snow that caves in, and he falls down into a pit, if you will, into a drop, if you will. Benaniah is chasing the lion, the ground caves in under him, and now the lion is in the pit. I'm sure for all of you people worried about the lion, he landed on his feet. He's part of the cat family. Check it out, man. No one's eating popcorn at this point as you're watching it. It's the moment of truth. He falls into the pit, and Benaniah walks up to the edge of the pit, and he looks down. I, 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 I don't know what was going through his mind, but I imagine he smirked a little bit. 
thinking I just got out of that alive. And Benaniah turns around and begins to walk away. Everybody thinks the scene's over. Everybody thinks that Benaniah has got through this scene alive because the lion fell into a pit. Everyone's praising Benaniah and saying, man, he chased the lion and he got away. The lion fell in the pit and it's good. So he begins to walk away and we begin to breathe a sigh of relief. But Benaniah's not walking away. He's just getting far enough away to get a running start. He stops, turns back around, and runs full speed and jumps into the pit. This is where, because they want to keep their PG-13 rating, we don't see what happens. We just hear the music. We hear the sound effects. We hear the grunting of Benaniah and the howling of the lion, and we don't know what's happening. The screen is blank, and then suddenly it comes back on, and the camera's outside the pit, and everybody fully expects the lion to come crawling out. That's not what happens. Two sets of tracks leading up to the pit, one set of tracks leading away, and that bloody hand reaches up, and Benaniah pulls himself up, And he's jumped into a pit on a snowy day, and he's killed a lion. Benaniah wins one of the most improbable victories ever. Don't miss this. Because he was willing to take a risk. He was willing to do what nobody else was willing to do. He wasn't content to walk away. He wasn't content to run away. He wasn't content to have the lion chase him. He said, I am going to chase the lion. And here's what I'm telling you today. There's a lion in your life and you need to chase it. I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know what the calling is. It might be more than one calling. It might be multiple calling, but there's a lion to chase. There's a lion to chase with your finances. There's a lion to chase with your purpose. There's a lion to chase in your relationships. There's a lion to chase with your kids. There's a lion to chase with your careers. And the problem is the large majority of us, we run from the lion and we live life less than what we were called to live it by. What a waste to live this one thing called life and live it with regret. Sounds horrible. It was a life-changing moment for Ben and I. And I want to pull out some principles for you here, some things that will, that will change your perspective on taking risks. Because listen, change comes when we take the risk to make change. It's not a matter of being normal and walking away. It's a matter of being supernatural and chasing the lion and living the life you were created for because there's some repercussions, if you will, of chasing a lion. Here's what you need to understand first of all. We're going to get home and out of here early today. I I I promise you. I promise you. I'm hungry. Listen, risk, don't miss this. Risk doesn't make sense to anyone other than the one taking the risk. That's the beautiful thing about risk. 
Don't expect to take a risk and everybody encourage you in taking a risk because that doesn't make a sense to them. It only makes sense to you because you have the calling. It doesn't make sense to them what is being birthed inside of you. It doesn't make sense that you just can't be content. People tell me, just learn to be content. Here's the deal, dude. I am content. I love life. But I refuse to become stagnant. I'm 47 years old. I figure I got at least 80 more years to live. I am not going to live that going through the motions. The goal in life for me is not to retire and do nothing. It is to chase every dream that I can chase and live the life that I want to live until I take my last breath. Why? Because life's too valuable not to do that. Here's the deal. It doesn't make sense to anybody. There's nobody that would have looked at Ben and I and said, yes, (laughs) do it. Even other risk takers. They wouldn't look at us and say, yes, chase a lion. Yes, jump in the pit with the lion. Sounds awesome. I even catch myself doing this, man. I, I, I'm a risk taker. I, I'm not afraid to go out and do what I feel led to do. Every time I have a new idea, I go to Christine and say, hey, here's how much money's in the bank. It might cost all of this money. Worst case scenario is we have to move into the offices. Are you good with that? She says she's good. I'm like, let's roll. I'm a risk taker. But I catch myself when other people come to me about their risk, a lot of times being like, oh, whoa, have you thought about this? Mm, I, I get it, but have you analyzed this? Have you thought about that? Even risk takers sometimes won't understand what other risk takers are doing. Why? Because what you're coming to me about is not birthed in me. I'm looking at what you come to me about in a common sense way. But when it's the risk that's birthed in me, I'm not worried about common sense. I'm not worried about logic. I'm not worried about losing all. People ask me, don't you get worried about losing it? I've lost it all. And here's the amazing thing that I found out about losing it all. The sun still came up the next day. The bills were still due. The sun went down the next day. Life goes on. (laughs) Nobody would have told Mennonite to do it. You run from lions, you don't chase them. It made no sense to anybody but Benaniah. I don't know why he knew it. Maybe he just needed a challenge. I done beat two Egyptians up. I done jerked a spear out of a dude's hand and killed him. I need to chase a lion. The lion might have been terrorizing the villagers. I don't know. He he knew it was time to kill the lion. It was snowing. He might have worn the lion skin coat. I don't know why he did it. But here's what I've learned. God is in the business of putting us right where he wants us, when he wants us there. Where you are in life is not by accident. It is by design. You say, I'm not happy where I'm at. That's okay. Maybe you're in the learning ground of where God wants you to be. Instead of fighting it, you need to embrace the suck. You need to step back and breathe and figure out, man, why am I here and what lessons am I trying to learn? And if I want to get out from this place to get to that place, I need to figure out some steps and I've got to take some risks. But the problem is most of you won't take risks because you've become comfortable in your discomfort.
The fear of the unknown scares you more than the misery of the known. But what if? What if I fail? What if you succeed? And oh, by the way, you will fail. It's part of life. You fail, you get up. Risk doesn't make sense to anyone other than the one taking the risk. I don't think anyone would have bet on Ben and I winning this battle. Probably not even the riskiest of gamblers would have had their money on Benaniah. He had to at least be 100 to 1 underdog. And the snowy conditions had to even hurt it worse. I don't know the reasons on why Benaniah said, man, I'm jumping in that pit on this snowy day and I'm killing a lion. But he did. He did. Every time that I have started something in my life, someone comes to me and says, man, why are you starting this? Because I want to. Because I see potential in it. I just don't know. I don't care what you don't know. We just do it. If we feel led to do it, it doesn't have to make sense to do it. Starting this church was a risk. Two out of three churches never see their second anniversary. Starting a church for those who don't do church, which is what we do, is like starting a steakhouse for vegetarians. It's a really stupid business model. Hey, we're going to start a church for those who don't do church. We started this church in the dead of summer. It's the worst time to start a church. We met outside for four months because I didn't know you had to have a CO or license or permits to do construction in a building, and we got a red tag the second day we were here. We moved to the poorest part of town to start this church. It made no sense. We parade our crazy on the front porch. We don't do fake Christianity real good. It doesn't make sense. We can't even feed the homeless around here without being criticized. It don't make sense. But here we are now, 11 years in, and God seems to be pretty pleased with what we're doing. Lives are changed because of what we're doing. It was a risk when we moved from that part of the building to this part of the building, and we had no money at all. And we still have no money, hence why instead of walls we have black curtains. Hence why we keep all the lights out for you just can't see how disgustingly nasty this building truly is. Makes no sense. It was a risk. But we knew God had called us to do it. Everything I've ever done in my life has been a risk. I put on events for a living. I'll never forget the first time I ever had Barbecue and Brews Festival. I'd never put on a festival in my life. I'd never talked to anybody who put on a festival. I tried to call some festival people, and they wouldn't talk to me because they thought I was competition and wouldn't tell me anything. But I knew it couldn't be that hard if these idiots were doing it. Eight years later, it provides for our family in a really good way. It made no sense when we started a wrestling promotion. I knew nothing about wrestling. 
I didn't even know any wrestlers. I knew two wrestlers. We didn't even have a wrestling ring. Now we've won wrestling promotion of the year four years. We have the highest uh, attended show in the state of Georgia. And it just keeps growing. Why? Because you take risks. I told Christine, how many years ago, pre-COVID, I said, I'm going to start an MMA promotion. She said, well, you don't know anything about that. I said, yeah, that would sound cool. That sounds really cool. She said, why would you want to do that? I said, I don't know. I said, the fake stuff's fun. The real stuff's got to be even cooler. She's like, okay. So I got met this guy. I thought the guy knew what he was doing, and he did not know what he was doing. And by the grace of God, COVID happened, and we had to postpone it for a couple of years. Then I met this guy on Facebook who I had never met face-to-face ever. I sent him a message, hey, you don't know me, but I think we got some mutual friends. And I really want to start this fight league. You want to help me? He said, yes. We started it. And it's none of your business what we make, but I can tell you we, we made pretty good money doing it. And it's been a lot of fun. And we pissed a lot of people off, which you know is very important to me. And we just took a risk. And because we took that risk, we're getting to do things that other people only dreamed about doing. Every time I started something, people thought we were stupid. I made a post yesterday. I went to a car show. What a boring guy. Has anybody ever been to a car show? The most boring thing I have ever been to in my life. It's horrible. If you like car shows, man, that's cool. That shows me you're boring. Well, it was so boring. I wanted to kill myself. I got home yesterday, got on GoDaddy.com and bought a URL and said, well, I'm going to start a car show. Someone said, you don't know anything about car shows? I said, well, if these idiots can do it, I that's always my logic. If these idiots can do it, I can do it. I'm going to do a car show. And guess what? It's going to be the biggest car show around, and it's going to grow, and it's going to be awesome, and it's not going to suck and be boring. I say, how are you going to do it? I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to figure it out. Can't be that hard. You park cars. It's going to be awesome. But it's taking a risk. Everybody told me you can only, Gary can only, Gary can only do what he does in Canton, Georgia. The only else he can do it. Oh, that infuriates me. But it's funny because I've run events all over North Georgia, but I can only do Canton. So my middle finger to everyone is, hey, let's go run a festival in Macon. That's not Canton. That's not even North Georgia. So September 16th, I'm going to run a bacon festival at the Macon Bacon Baseball Stadium in Macon. And guess what? It's going to be awesome. I'm going to take the risk to do it. And someone said, well, what if it doesn't work? Then we won't do it again. But it's going to work. It just doesn't make sense. That's because it's not birthed inside of you. You weren't the one to, told to jump into a pit with a lion. But if you were the one told, it would make perfect sense to you. I don't know what your risk is. It might might involve a relationship. It might involve a career change. It might involve making some radical decision that pertains to your children. I don't know what it is, but you do. And here's the deal. You need to take that risk because it's not going to make sense to anybody but you. Ben and I knew he had to do it. Second thing I want you to realize, we're going to get out of here, I promise. 
the risk you take today will impact your tomorrow. Mm. Mm. Check this out. This is good. I like how the Bible just breaks crap down for you. Benaniah jumps in a pit. Did I mention it was snowing that day? Did I mention he killed a lion with his bare hands? And look what it says two verses later. And David, that's the king, put him in charge of his bodyguard. I can't think of too many places I'd rather not be than in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. It's not on anybody's wish list. It's a death wish. But you got to admit, you got to admit, I killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Looks really good on a resume. Especially when you're applying to be the king's bodyguard. I mean, can you just picture David flipping through LinkedIn? He's looking at all the applications. One guy's like, man, I majored in security at the University of Jerusalem. And David's like, nope. Some dude's like, I did an internship with the palace guard. And David's like, nope. Some guy's like, man, I work for Brink's Armored Chariots. David's like, nope. Then he flips over this resume and it says, Benaniah. I just happened to believe there was nothing on the paper but this. Killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. And David said, hire him. He didn't say interview him. He didn't say bring him in, let's meet him. He didn't say let's see if he's a good fit. When you're looking for a bodyguard, a dude who jumped in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, he gets the job. The risk he took yesterday affected him today. Sometimes you don't realize how the risks are going to affect your tomorrow. Had Benaniah jumped in the pit, had he not jumped in the pit that day, he'd have had no resume to turn in. It was a risk that affected his future. Here's what I want you to understand. That you keep doing what you've been doing and you'll keep getting what you've been getting. Some of you are miserable with your life. You're discontent with your life. You're unhappy with your life. Yet you get up every single solitary day and you keep doing the same thing over and over. And if you do the same thing over and over, expecting different results, they say that's the definition of insanity. You just hope your marriage is going to get better? Not if you keep doing the same thing. You think you're going to find purpose in life? Not if you keep doing the same thing. You think suddenly your relationship with your kids is just going to get better just because? No. The decisions you make today will affect your tomorrow. I am in probably the greatest financial position I have ever been in my life. And let me make this very clear. Being in a great financial position is not the definition of success. Not what I'm saying. But I am probably in the greatest financial position of my life. Why? Because of risk I took then. I literally have to turn cities down now that want me to bring festivals. We've run two fight nights, and I've had two tourism boards bring me in wanting to bring fights in. They say, you're going to do it? I got to get Warren on board, but we're going to do it one day. But not today. But it'll happen. My point is, those decisions to do that opened up doors today. This building ain't going to be big enough real soon. 
I got to have a bigger building. Bigger building means different city. But what about this? This who cares? We'll sell more tickets. Y'all stress over things I don't stress over. Because I realize that the decisions we made then affect tomorrow. And many of you don't know this, but I've sh- I haven't shared this story in a while, and he gets mad every time I share the story. But in my previous life, I pastored another church. And we had this guy come in to help us out with worship a couple of times named Phil May. And he had an attitude. Kind of temporary. He didn't like to be told what to do. I remember one day he kicked his mic stand off the stage. We quit using him. Couldn't use him anymore. And then I started this church, and I couldn't find anybody to come lead worship. And I will never forget freaking Facebook has that little feature, people you may know. I was like, crap, that's that bad attitude guy, but he could sing. I wonder if he'll remember me. And I sent him a private message and said, hey, I don't know if you remember me. Started another church, man, I'd like you to come lead worship. Would you be interested in coming to lead worship? I'll never forget his response. Yeah, I'll come lead worship, but I do it my way, and I play what I want to play when I get to play it. No one tells me what to do. I was desperate. I said, okay. (laughs) I thought, man, if I can just deal with this dude for about four or five weeks, I'll find somebody else. 11 years later, 11 years later, I couldn't imagine anybody leading worship. Like, matter of fact, I say now when he's done, I'm done. And I mean, I don't, he's done, I'm done. We'll close this thing up. I want my Sundays off anyway. Took a risk. I don't mean to keep using stories because he's here because I would have used these stories. But I I didn't know Warren, I, I sent him a message. I didn't know Randy. We sent each other messages. Now we have the biggest podcast in America. You say, by what ratings? By mine. The people demand it. Write that down. I'll never forget divorced. My father-in-law, the one who's in the kids' area right now, goes to jail. He wasn't my father-in-law at the time. Right before we were supposed to do a motorcycle ride for our chair, for our homeless shelter. And I send his daughter a message and like, hey, your dad's in jail. He just walked through the church parking lot with a gun, threatening to kill somebody. I don't need you to miss church anymore. Oh, by the way, I'm going to take over this motorcycle ride. And then she seduced me in direct messages. And now we're married. I took a risk. The risk you took yesterday will affect today. That's my point. Man. Second Corinthians says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give not reluctantly under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly in all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, that's talking about finances, but that's not my point. My point is, the Bible says, the, the more willing you are able to put something in, the more rewards you'll see. The more you put in at the gym, the more results you're going to see. 
The more you put into your relationship, the better the results are going to be. The, the more you, you put into chasing your dreams, the more the results are going to be. The decisions you make today will affect your tomorrow. Ben and I had jumped in a pit on a snowy day with a lion. Next thing you know, he's the king bodyguard. Man, are you willing to take that risk? Last night I'm done and we're going home. Most people will never take the risk. Look what it says about Benaniah. David had 30 mighty men around him. The Bible says he was held in greater honor than any of the 30. These other 30 dudes, these other 29 dudes were bad to the bone. You should go, you should go. one of them killed 900 men by himself. One defended a pea patch and Killed so many people, he killed so many people that his hand froze to the sword. I mean, these dudes were bad mofos. I should do a whole series on the mighty men. And they were so badass. Sorry. They were as bad to the bone. But I don't think any of them would have jumped in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. But Aniah did. And it said that David held him in higher regard than any of the other. David looked out at him and said, that's my favorite. Why? Because he's willing to chase a lion. He's willing to do what nobody else will do. He's willing to take a risk to live the life that he was created for. How can you not respect that? How can you not honor that? How can you not love that? He was a risk taker. And here's what I want you to know today. If you want to live the life you were created for, you've got to chase the lion. It's not going to make sense to anybody else. And that's okay. You don't owe an explanation to anybody else. Crazy, wild, untamed Benaniah. Chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed that joker. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. What's the risk you need to take? What's the thing that you've been scared to do? What's the thing that no one else around you thinks you should do, but you know that you know? I get asked all the time, they say, do you go to Christine with your ideas? I do go to Christine with my ideas. And I want to be real careful because I don't want to sleep on the couch on Father's Day. I go to her with my ideas. And I genuinely listen to her input. I do. And she has convinced me that sometimes things are not what I should do. But, if I know that I know that I know I'm supposed to do it, I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to think about it. And she knows I'm going to do it. And guess what? She's going to support it. I make sure those ones really work. Because I don't know man want to hear a woman tell him, I told you so. Amen. Say amen, man. It's Father's Day. You ain't got to be scared today. <laughs> On a normal Sunday, you got to be scared. You ain't, she can't get mad at you today. That's in the rules. The Father Day rules. What's the thing you know you need to do? You have the rest of your life laid out in front of you. 
It's snowing, the pit's there, the lion's there. You can walk away or you can jump in and kill it. If you jump in and kill it, it might kill you. But if it don't kill you, man, you've got a story to tell. Let's pray.